And now, Father, may the Lord bless us, keep us, make our hearts tender, give us ears to hear so that we won't be dull of hearing. And may the presence of the people of God here and the love of God flowing through them warm all of our hearts. And thank you most of all, not so much that we pray or that we have people willing to pray for us. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us. And thank you that you answer because of Christ. And thank you for this blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Take your Bibles, please. Thank you guys so much for that. I really do appreciate it. And uh, we want to go now to our next section, section of verses in Exodus chapter 30, down at verse 17. Exodus 30, down at 17. Okay, and we are going to build a sink kind of a thing today, uh, a basin. And uh, you can see in the picture there, the, an artist's rendering of what it may have looked like. We don't uh, really know the size or anything like that. But uh, it is a basin of water, and the priests are supposed, and only the priests, are supposed to wash themselves in it. I've wondered while I was studying this, is this where uh, Roman Catholics get the idea of holy water? I, I don't know, and that's certainly not mandated in the New Testament anywhere, but um, I wonder if uh, that's kind of the idea that they get, because when they think of a priest, they think of a person with a backwards collar or a robe or something like that but the Bible actually teaches that all of us are priests so whenever instruction is given for what the priests are supposed to do this is us okay we are we are the priests we're the ones who can go before God we don't need anybody to go um, in between us we have the high priest Jesus Christ and we are priests unto God so think about that as we read this in this uh, last piece of furniture here, Exodus 30, 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver, that's a sink or a basin, a laver of bronze, that's important, the metal, with its base also of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar the bronze altar that's out there that's just inside the courtyard. And you shall put water in it, for Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord... They shall wash with water, lest they die. Look at verse 21. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. Wonder what he was trying to get across to them, huh? Was he stuttering? Was he mindless repetition? Or was he trying to get a point across to us? Okay? Think about that. We're dull of hearing sometimes, aren't we? And it shall be a statute forever to them... To, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. Now, as you think about this, and you think about this basin, notice 
This is really point number one. This is kind of a peculiar thing as regards the other pieces of furniture. All of the other pieces of furniture, the Lord belabored the dimensions. Did you notice there are no dimensions here? That's kind of peculiar. Did you notice that there is no particular instruction here? Oh, oh yeah, it does say they're to wash their hands and their feet. But in all the other pieces of the furniture, there was this like uh, detailed instruction about what they were supposed to do, when they were supposed to do it, and how they were supposed to do it, right? You notice as you look at this thing how different and how strange it is and uh, kind of, uh, you know, peculiar to the rest of the furnishing. Uh, there's no acacia wood. There, there's nothing like that. Just bronze. Just bronze. There's no gold. Just bronze. And it's interesting as you read through these pieces of furniture and the construction of the tabernacle. When you're outside of the tabernacle in the courtyard, it's mainly bronze. Right? And when you go inside the tabernacle... You, if you had been allowed, it was dazzling gold. When you think about bronze, what does that represent? Well, if you remember back when we talked about that uh, brazen altar, as it's called in some translations, that when you came right into the gate, the one gate into the tabernacle, the presence of God, to the courtyard anyway, there was that bronze altar. It had to be made of bronze because you were going to burn something on it. Animals were burned they were the victim of your sin and they died in place of your sin well new testament christians we get the symbolism of that christ died in our place and suffered the fires and the wrath of god on the cross when he died for us and so it had to be made of bronze because it had to stand up to the heat i get that i get that but when you think about this uh labor of water one's for fire one is for water. You can't get more opposite than that. And what in the world would it be made out of bronze for? Because it is outside of the tabernacle. Well, bronze is a metal of judgment. Of judgment. And there are those times in the Bible where we find God judging people. And he is the ultimate judge. Okay? And uh, that's why you're in trouble if you're outside of Christ. Because you have broken the law of God. You've lied. You've stolen. You've dishonored your parents. You've failed to honor God. I mean, we could go on and on and uh, broken the Ten Commandments. And that's why Jesus had to die for you because you are a sinner deserving of the wrath of God. And Christ, in his mercy, took the wrath of God on the cross in your place. And that's what that altar represents. But what does the labor represent? We'll talk about that in just a moment. But with that thing about the metal, everything outside, most of it outside, was bronze. And you don't really get the gold until you go inside. But these things had to be gone through before you could really enjoy what was on the inside of all of this. And so the uh, interesting thing here is that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 15... When John the Apostle sees the Lord Jesus and has that description of him, you know what it says about him? His feet were like burnished bronze. Revelation 1, 15. Bronze is the metal of judgment. 
Bronze is the medal of judgment. And Jesus in Revelation 1 is walking around and walking through, remember those seven golden lampstands which represent the churches. And what is he doing when he's walking around through them? Well, all you have to do is read his letter. He is judging the church. He is appraising. He is evaluating the church. This is not about what we want or what we like or are we happy. It's all about this. Is the Lord happy? Is the Lord pleased? And you remember out of those seven churches, only two of them did he commend. The persecuted church and the church that was a witness for Christ. All the other churches received a rebuke from the Lord, even with the threat of repent or I will put out your lampstand. And there is no church in Ephesus anymore, not like this one. And uh, we find that these churches are gone now because their lampstand was put out. And we can notice churches in our own local area that at one time were thriving and filled with worshipers and they are no more. Their doors are closed. There are a lot of churches I know in northeastern Oklahoma that I would be familiar with because I grew up there and served there as a pastor. And they've either shut down or they've merged and uh, they, they can, couldn't keep their congregations going. We see this kind of stuff happening. Sometimes it's just a natural course of events. But if you read the first part of Revelation, could it be also that as we have forgotten the Lord and made church more about us and what we want and what our needs are and what entertains us, we've forgotten that it's really about what pleases the Lord because the Lord is our judge. Bronze is a medal of judgment. The next thing that I noticed when I looked at this was that it had a certain position. We're told where it was supposed to go. And so over here is the bronze altar of sacrifice for atonement. And in here inside the tabernacle is the mercy seat where the blood would be sprinkled once a year on the day of atonement. And then right outside of that is this labor, this basin. And so when you were coming from the sacrifice, then you would wash your hands and feet and then you would go into the tent into the tabernacle, or if you were the high priest, into the Holy of Holies. But it also seems to indicate from what we read, when you came out of that, going to the offer, the bulls on the uh, bronze altar, you would also wash your hands and wash your feet. Now, what do we infer from that? Well, God wants cleanliness. God likes hygiene. God wants his servants to be clean. And that would certainly be true in a spiritual sense. He wants us to be clean, and that is exactly what it is about, and we'll explain that a little bit more in just a moment. But consider this. You have no right to come and wash your hands and feet in this particular place until an offering has been offering, offered for your sins. This is not for the unbeliever. This is not for the person who is not a priest unto God like you are. This is not for the people who are not born again. Because just as that altar represents the sacrifice of Christ, the principles we get from this are not for the lost. They are for the saved. They are for the priests. They're for Aaron and all of those who served with him. They're for us. 
And so coming or going, we need to stop by and wash our hands and wash our feet. Now notice, they didn't get in the basin or anything, but it said you wash your hands and feet with water from the basin. So they would take some out. Maybe they had a, some type of a bucket or something like that, get the water out, and then they would wash their hands and then they'd wash their feet in all of it. But that was a position. Whether you're coming or going, this is only for certain people. It is for the priests. And because, again, we are called priests in the New Testament, then we need to pay attention. This is for us. And thirdly, notice that its purpose was, of course, for washing. Well, duh, Pastor, we couldn't have figured that out. But think about it, for washing, for washing. And notice when it says that they were... to wash, they didn't wash their face, they didn't brush their teeth, they didn't take a bath or a shower in it or anything, but they washed their hands and they washed their feet. I uh, was doing some work out on our car one time. I'd had a shower and I was all cleaned up, but I went out to do that. and It was just a little kind of a piddly little job. But you know what happened? I got my hands dirty. What did I do when I got my hands dirty? Sammy, start the shower and get it good and warm. I've got... No, no, I just washed my hands. Clean them off. You remember in the uh, things that Aaron would wear, he had the miter on his head and the robe and the ephod. And you know, remember all of that? Did you notice anything missing? Shoes. Shoes were missing. And when you walk around in that time, you don't know what you're going to step in, do you? You don't know what you're going to be walking on. Well, I knew now one thing, you're going to be walking on dirt and dust. And so sometimes if you were to walk outside of the uh, tabernacle courtyard, then again, in those days, you don't know what you might have stepped in. And so it was considered in those days an act of hospitality and courtesy. Whenever you had a guest in your house, you washed their feet. And that was not only to show them honor, but it had a practical aspect too. Good night. You never know what they were stepping in. They wore sandals and, you know, even if they weren't barefoot, it was, might not be a real pleasant thing to think about and have them come in and walk on your carpet. So wash their feet before they come in. And it was a gesture of humility and also a gesture of great honor to your guest when they would come in. Well, before they would go into the presence of God, they would wash their feet. And I think there's a symbolism here because if you're a priest, you're a servant of God. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes when you are serving God, you get your hands dirty. You get your hands dirty with somebody else's life. You get your hands dirty with somebody else's problems. You get your hands dirty ministering to them, helping them, loving them, snatching them out of the fire, rescuing them, praying with them, and all of that. And sometimes you need to just wash your hands. The priests were to have clean hands. The Bible talks about praising the Lord and praying with clean hands in the book of James. It's making reference back to this. They would have understood that. Are your hands clean? Your service sometimes makes you dirty. You need to wash your hands. Sometimes your feet get dirty because sometimes we walk where we ought not to walk. And we're stepping in things that we shouldn't be around. 
And our feet just get dirty in the normal course of life, just like these priests would get. And so the hands symbolize our service, and even in our service, serving the Lord, it's not enough just to serve the Lord and say, well, everything's okay, we've got to serve the Lord, and we've also got to get clean because we get messed up doing that. And as we walk through this world, no matter who you are, no matter how godly you are, no matter how holy you are, no matter how mature you are, no matter how committed you are, you're going to step in it from time to time. There are puddles out there. There's manure out there. There's dirt and dust out there. And you need to have your feet cleaned. And this is what this basin is, ta- basin is for. The purpose is for the hands and feet of the priest in order to be cleansed. So there's an aspect of failure here. Lord, I was serving you, but in the midst of serving you, I got dirty. And I need to go to the bronze basin and take the water out. And I need to cleanse myself from the waters of judgment that help me to get clean. The waters of judgment that help me to get clean. You know, when you have a little kid, they don't really know that they're dirty. You have to tell them to wash their hands before they eat. You have to tell them. Sometimes they come out and they, did you take a shower? Yeah, I did. Let me look at you. And you see that their neck is still dirty, that they're still dirty behind their ears, that their hands are still dirty. They didn't do much in that shower in a way of getting clean, but they don't know it. They don't notice it. All they know is they got in, they got wet. Isn't that kind of the purpose of everything? No. It's to get clean. It's to get you to looking good. It's to keep you healthy. And it's also so that you don't uh, stink to high heaven whenever you get around mom and dad, right? And uh, they don't know that. And sometimes as believers, we get so busy and we're serving the Lord and we're so proud of ourselves because we're serving the Lord. And the Lord may uh, say, you need to wash your hands. You've come into contact with some stuff that's pretty toxic called sin. You've not noticed it, but that's what the Holy Spirit is for, to call our attention to that. So we need to be washed every once in a while from time to time. Now, do we need a new sacrifice of Jesus? No. Do we need His blood to cleanse us again and again and again? No, that was a one-time thing. You're clean because of what Christ has done for you, but occasionally you do need to wash your hands And you do need to wash your feet. That's what James talked about when he said, keep yourself unspotted or unsoiled from the world. You know, uh, you may be walking along a sidewalk and you're doing everything right, everything right. And you're on your way somewhere, you're going to have your pictures taken and you're dressed to the nines and everything is great. And as you're walking along, There's a mud puddle beside you and a car drives by and splashes the mud all over you. Is that sinful? Did you do anything wrong? No. Just kind of happened and it messed up your clothes and messed up your picture day. Well, that happens even to us. And so we need to wash every once in a while our hands and our feet. It's very, very symbolic here. And when we think about all of this, We'll get down to uh, the fourth point, which is where we're going to spend a little bit more time. And this is where it all comes together. It's picture and it's practicality. 
picture and practicality. Now, when we look at this, like all the other pieces of the furniture, this bronze labor, this bronze sink, this bronze basin, that's Christ. He's the one who judges us. He is also the one who cleanses us. Think about that. He not only judges us, he tells us what's good, bad, right, and wrong, proper, improper, appropriate, inappropriate, and uh, he is the one who does that. He's the one who paid for our sins at the altar where the animals were burned. That's a symbol of the cross. But he also is the one in our day-to-day life that convicts us of sin, shows us our imperfections, shows us how we need to grow. You know, sometimes with a little bitty kid, there are things that they need to learn. And it's not like you look at your kid and say, you worthless sinner, you don't know how to ride a bike. No, we don't do that. It's just there comes a certain point in time where they need to learn how to ride a bike. They can do it. They would enjoy it. And so we teach them how to do it. And it takes a little bit of time. And in your life too. It's not just that the Lord is pointing out everything wrong in your life. But as you grow, there are certain things He is adding into your life that you need to learn to do. And it's not easy to learn. You learn how to ride a bike. The way you learn how to balance is by falling. And uh, you get tired of falling and you figure out pretty quick how to ride the bike and how to balance it and everything. And that's so true in our day-to-day life. And sometimes we say to the Lord, Oh, Lord, I failed you. I didn't do this right. And the Lord goes, You didn't fail me. You didn't know how to do it. I'm teaching you how to do it. This is just a step of obedience and a step of maturity. Now, certainly there are those times when we do fail the Lord because the Scripture tells us to him who knows to do good. Get the word knows and does it not, to him it is sin. But when you don't know and when you're just learning, well, yeah, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, and there's no sin in that. The Lord is patient. The Lord is kind, and the Lord picks us up. And nobody wants you to spiritually ride the bike any more than your heavenly Father does. And that's the same thing that goes with giving, with witnessing, with praying, with Bible study, with ministry, and all of that. We're all learning, and we're all growing on those kind of things. And all we need to do is just be obedient. And we leave the results up to Him. And some of us are better at those things than other people are but remember you don't have anything that wasn't a gift to you so don't get high and mighty about all of that and remember what it was like when you were first learning now to be sure there are some kids that they're I don't know uh, more coordinated uh, than others and uh, some things are easier than others and it's been my experience that the one kid that could learn to ride a bike very quickly had trouble catching a ball And maybe the one who could really catch the ball, you know, couldn't do the other things. And uh, that's the way we are in the body of Christ. All of us are different. We have different levels of maturity. We have different gifts. We have different skills, different talents. And some of you will catch on to certain things quicker than other people will. Well, be patient with your brothers and your sisters. What is it you always tell your older child with the younger ones? Well, you've got to remember, he's only three. Be patient with him. And that's what we need to do in the body of Christ. There are some people that, that they may not be where we are, at least in that area. 
and we've got to be patient with them. They're learning. We also have to realize that there are certain interests and certain skills and certain abilities that we have that make some things more appealing, more interesting, and that may be a little easier for us to do than someone else. I've known people that they had the personality that witnessing was just never a problem for them. I'm a more of an introverted personality. Guess what that spells? Problems going out and doing that. I was with a guy in Valdosta, Georgia, and uh, we were out on the street, and we were handing out tracts and doing some things like that, a little out of my comfort zone. And um, this guy walks up to this, I don't know, he looked like a hell's angel guy to me, and taps him on the back. And the guy's, you know, drinking beer and having a good time. And he turns around and looks like this. And this friend of mine, he goes, Sir, I feel like God wants me to ask you this question. If you died right now, would you go to heaven or hell? And I'm going like, Chris, you're going to get us killed. You know? You know what that guy did? That big, tough biker guy? Tears started coming out of his eyes. I couldn't believe it. He goes, How did you know I woke up thinking about that today? Well, he didn't, but he was just bold as he could be. Somebody said he was bold as snot, but I won't say that kind of stuff from the pulpit. (laughs) And he led that guy to the Lord. That kind of thing is hard for me, and it may be hard for you. Does it mean we don't do it? No. You may fail, but how'd you learn to ride a bike? You got back on it. You rode again. How'd you learn to catch a ball? You dropped it a few times. Maybe had it hit you in the face. But then after a while, you learned it. and You learned that skill. Don't give up. Persevere. And as we do all of these things, these different things, sometimes we make a mess of ourselves. And sometimes it's not sinful. It's just the consequences. You fall off a bike, you're probably going to get dirty. Do you remember that gravel that would get underneath your hands when you do that? And uh, oh, I just had a horrible thought. Mercurochrome, methylate. Remember that stuff? Monkey blood, some people called it. Man, that stuff hurt. That stuff hurt. Then they had Bactine and they promised it wouldn't hurt. Liars. It was terrible, right? Remember that? And, and yet... After a while, you became an expert on your bike. Why? You kept getting up. You kept getting up. You kept getting up. You kept getting up. You tried and you learned. And there are some things in the Christian life where the interest comes because you're born again. And that's by the Spirit of God in your new nature. But the skill doesn't come until you repeat it over and over and over and over and learn from your mistakes. You say, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, that's why the Apostle Paul told Timothy, bodily exercise profits little. Exercise yourself rather unto godliness. How do you exercise? Well, I went to the gym, and in 10 minutes, man, I was so buff. That was so cool. Man, that's awesome how that happens. No, it doesn't happen like that. Repetitive, repetitive, consistency in all of that. And Paul says, exercise yourself unto godliness. Don't quit. Don't give up. You'll get better. The Holy Spirit's your teacher, and He'll take you along through that. But understand this. If you're just learning to do something, and you are not real good at it, good night. I remember when I first started teaching the Bible, I got so many verses out of context 
Because I didn't know what context was, and I didn't understand any of that kind of stuff. But you learn, and you grow over time, right? And there are times that in prayer and witnessing and even fellowship, if you're real introverted, fellowship may be tough for you. And you say, uh, you know, well, I went in there to that church fellowship, and I sat down, and nobody even spoke to me. And uh, maybe that's the call of God for you to get up and to go speak to other people. Well, that's hard for me. It doesn't mean you can't do it. Right? You just do it. Well, I'm not good at it. Didn't ask you if you were good at it. But as you practice, you learn. You may always be an introvert, but now you're an introvert with the skill of being able to fellowship and overcome that instead of being hindered by it. And we could talk about a thousand things that we could mention in the church. You know, I bet as good as your Sunday school teacher is, I bet they weren't that way the first time they taught, taught a class. These kind of things have to be learned and to be developed. And sometimes you make a mess while you're doing it and you need to wash your hands. It's not necessarily sinful. At the same time, there are those times when you, with all good intention to live for the Lord, then you find yourself in some kind of a sin. I did it again, didn't I, Lord? Yeah, what do I do? Go to the basin and wash Clean yourself up. You don't need to get saved all over again. Christ doesn't have to die all over again. That's already taken care of. But you need to wash your hands or you need to wash your feet. Now, to illustrate this, the Bible talks about um, how the labor is Christ and the water is Scripture. The, what washes us is the Word of God. Think about Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. There you go. You need the word of God. You need to constantly be exposed to the word of God to overcome sin. How do you spiritually wash your hands and feet? You go to the word of God. And you let the water of the Word of God do its work in your life. This is only, again, for believers, only for the priest. Another illustration of this is John chapter 3. It's uh, verses 5 and following. And this is at the Lord's Supper, remember? Then Jesus poured water into a basin. That's interesting. And began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? I think Peter was embarrassed because the people preparing the Passover should have had a servant hired to do this. And now the Lord is doing it. And Peter's like, ah, this is embarrassing. You're doing this for me when I should be doing it for you. Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. That embarrassment, defensiveness, right? And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Okay, so Simon, the man who goes from one extreme to the other. Know anybody like that? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, I need a shower, right? And Jesus said to him, chill out, Peter. No, not exactly. He said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, 
but not every one of you. What was he saying? The same thing he says to us. I feel like when I sin sometimes I need to get saved all over again. And the Lord goes, no, 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 no. I paid for that. Just wash your hands. Wash your feet. Just clean up that part that got soiled by your sin or by your mistakes or by your ineptitude or by the world as you're just walking through it and the mud puddle of the world splashed on you. Just, just wash up. You're clean. You're in me. I'm in you. Everything's good. Just clean up a little. Wash a little bit. One writer said, So when the believer contracts defilement by treading the path of life through this world, it is not a fresh application of the sacrifice of Christ which he needs, but the water of the word. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? Oh, you need a therapist. You need a counselor. You need, oh, oh, there's so many. Uh, no, that's not what it says. By guarding it according to your word. There's something about getting into the word of God that it, sin will either keep you from getting into the word or the word will keep you from sin, right? And so the bronze altar where the fire is, that's salvation. But the bronze labor is 1 John 1, 9. You remember that? But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what you're doing when you confess your sins. And by the way, the word confess, confess does not necessarily mean I've got to name all of my sins before God. I don't even know all of them. But I've got to agree with God about them. The word confess is homo legeo, to say the same. It means I need to say the same thing about sin that God says. And I'm afraid a lot of people are saying, Oh Lord, I looked at pornography today. And they think that cleanses them when in their heart they want to look again. They're not saying the same thing about it that God says. What confession is, is when I in brokenness come to God and say, I looked at this and I know I was wrong and I'm broken hearted of it and I never want to do that again because I say the same thing about it that you do does it displease God yes it should displease me as well that's when true confession has taken place how do I know when I wash my hands and feet in the basin it's when my heart lines up with God's heart about my sin and about the way that I am supposed to live and that's a tough place to get to and the result of doing all of this, trusting Christ as Savior and Lord, and then confessing your sins every day and every time you commit them. You know, if you let them stack up and pile up and go for a long time, that's going to be a tough, tough thing to do. But if you do it as soon, confess it as soon as you do it, Lord, I shouldn't have said that, should I? I'm ashamed of myself for that gossip that came out of my mouth. Please forgive me and cleanse me. What are you doing? You're washing your hands, washing your feet in the bronze labor. Well, I, you know, well, I just can't stand that person. Oh, Lord, I'm so glad they don't know that. I'm glad this is just between you and me. But just between you and me, God, I know you hate that, and I need to hate it too. So I'm going to call it what you call it. It's sin. Please Please wash me clean from that. And you're putting your dirty hands into the labor. And you're getting them clean so that you can go on into the meeting, of, uh, meeting place with God. You see what I mean? This is a symbol of 1 John 1, 9. Christ the judge is also the one that is the cleanser. 
And he does it through his word. And the result is for imperfect people like you and me who need to wash their hands and clean their feet, well, at least daily, sometimes multiple times a day, the water is there. And I think the reason that the Bible doesn't give us any dimensions on this, doesn't tell us how big it is, doesn't tell us how much water it holds, I think the reason he did that is just to get it across to us, it's limitless. It's limitless. How big is your sin? Man, my sin is bad. I'm going to really dirty up that water. Well, there's plenty of it. There's plenty of it. And I don't care for whatever it might be or whatever you've done. Any sinner can be saved by the blood of Christ. And any Christian can be cleansed from his sin. That's because Christ has provided the water of his word. And the result of that, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now... No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? You are clean, Jesus said to Peter. Jesus says that to the disciples. And Jesus says that to you because of my sacrifice on the cross. Now what do you do? You mess up. You get splashed on. You step in something. It may be willing, it may be unwilling, it may be because of you, it may be because of someone else. What do you do? Don't fret. Just go to the bronze basin and wash your hands and wash your feet in the Word of God and let it cleanse you. It'll convict you, show you where you're wrong, but it also tells you how to get it right, doesn't it? And it reminds you of the precious blood of Jesus that was shed to pay for that sin. Oh yeah, that sin you may have committed is ugly, it's awful, it stinks, it's terrible, you're embarrassed by it, and God is displeased with it. But here's the good news, if you've trusted Christ, it's already been paid for. Just go up to the basin that only the priests like you can go to and wash up, wash up, wash up. Confess your sin to God and let the Word of God do its wonderful work in your life. And that, my friend, is why whenever you're not right with God, you don't want the Word of God because your flesh and your old nature cooperate together to say anything but that. Anything but that. I remember one time a store clerk came up to me and about knocked me over with their smell. They'd been out back smoking. And they evidently smoked a lot. And you know what they did? Put a piece of gum in their mouth. And then they sprayed cologne all over themselves. Oh boy, that'll do it. Yeah. You need the combination of cigarette smoke and cologne. To, now that's a clean smell right there, right? And so many Christians are trying to just, I don't want to wash. I'll just spray some cologne. And you know what they do? They take on a responsibility and they volunteer something at the church. And their hands are not really clean. And they're leaving fingerprints and smears all over everything they do. Is what they're doing good? You bet it is. Except their hands are dirty. They're tracking up the carpet and all of that while they're serving <coughs> because their feet are dirty. You know what you need to do? Go to the brass laver, wash your hands and wash your feet, and serve God with clean hands and clean feet. Again, you don't need to get saved all over again. You just need to confess that sin and let the Word of God do its work in your life so that when you serve Him, you're not messing everything and everybody else up and making more work for other people. 
So as you think about this, and as you think about these pieces of the furniture and everything that they've represented as we go through this, think about what a wonderful Savior we have. A Savior who is a friend of sinners like you and like me. A Savior who is willing not only to forgive us at the point of salvation and cleanse us from our sin, but a loving Father who walks with us and instructs us and teaches us. And when we mess up or when we get dirtied up, what does He do? Scream at us, yell at us, scold us? No, He provides the basin with the water of the Word so that we might be clean and we might serve Him and we might do it with clean hands and clean feet. And I'm so thankful that I have a God who loves me to that degree. If you don't know Him, will you trust Him today as your Lord and Savior? Will you surrender to Him as Lord and quit trusting in your works, quit trusting in yourself, quit trusting in your religion, quit trusting in your morality? There's only one thing you need. You're a sinner and Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins in full and was raised from the dead and He is the only and the final payment for sin. Praise God for that. Trust Him today. And if you're a Christian with sin in your life, you're dirtying up everything. Your life and your walk with God is hindered. What do you do? Go to the Word of God and wash your hands in the water of the Word. And your God, the same God that convicts you, is the same God that will give you relief. The same God that will clean you up. He doesn't just point fingers. He says, come here, let's get that clean. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's bow together. Lord, as we've taken this time today to look at this little piece of furniture, maybe big piece of furniture, we don't know, but the symbol, symbolism in it is so rich. We need 1 John 1, 9. We need to confess our sins. And as Solomon told us in Proverbs, we need to confess and forsake our sins. And so, Lord, whoever it is here today that needs to come to trust Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would do that. And whoever just needs to simply get right with God, may they wash their hands and their feet, knowing that they've already been cleansed. Wash it in the water of the Word. Thank you for this privilege. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And thank you so much for your time. And we'll look forward to seeing you back tonight as well.